0: Hello, welcome to Serenity Wellness Podcast. My name is Nicole White and I'll be your host. This podcast is dedicated to helping you tap into your full potential of how you can heal and balance your mental, emotional, and physical well being. Together, let's explore our inner self, connect to our strength, and manifest your true nature, one full of love, purpose, and passion. Welcome to episode twelve, mindfulness in schools and music. Thank you everyone who continues to join me each week and for all your words of encouragement and support and sharing this podcast with others. I cannot thank you enough. I greatly appreciate you and welcome to those of you who are new. Thanks for spending some time and space with us today. I hope you all are finding some time to tap into your own wellness toolbox and figure out what resonates for you. As I've mentioned, everything um, you know is different for everyone and so finding those tools that really help to fill your joy tank and feed your soul and bring balance to your life. Hopefully you've been able to practice some of the tools that we've been working on developing in terms of breath work and awareness of that muscle tension in your body or the way that you speak to yourself internally and externally and how we can really begin to to balance some of those things out in mindful ways of daily mindfulness practice. We'll continue to work on those things down the line, but today I am super excited. We have our first guest, Kevin Briggs. He's going to be joining me to talk about some dissertation work that he's doing in terms of mindfulness in our educational systems. He's going to talk a little bit about some things that are actually currently happening in our schools and some opportunities for teachers to continue to expand upon their own practice and awareness of mindfulness. And then he's also going to share a little bit about his daily practice in meditation and yoga. What kind of led him there, but also, he is a local musician, and so he's going to talk about how mindfulness really plays out in terms of being a musician and how all that uh, integrates. So I am really excited to have him talk with us further about that. Before I introduce Kevin to you, just a little reminder of some things happening our way uh, this week on March 11th almost forgot the month there for a second on March 11th is our free week of it starts off our free week of balance that's tomorrow we start off we have some yoga at uh, 530 on Monday Monday noon on Tuesday and noon on Thursday. We have our group meditation at 645 on Tuesday evening, and then I'm going to be running that free Reiki circle on Thursday. So to learn more about that and register, please check us out online at serenitywellnesscenter.com, C-E-N-T-R-E, like Center County, or you can check us out on Instagram and Facebook. So thank you everyone who uh, continues to do that, and you can check those things out. Maybe join us this week for some free balance. With that, let's uh, get started with today's interview. I'm excited to have our first guest on our podcast, Kevin Briggs. Kevin is not only a local musician, but he also writes about music in the community, practices yoga and meditation, and he's working on some really cool research on his dissertation related to mindfulness in the education system. Welcome, Kevin.
1: Hi, it's really nice to be here.
0: Excellent! I'm so happy that you're able to join us today. If you want to start by just telling us a little bit about yourself and what got you into practicing meditation,
1: well, I think um, you you went right down the list there. Uh, I'm a, actually what I what I do full time uh, in terms of my career work is I'm a high school English teacher, and I'm currently writing a dissertation on. Um, How mindfulness-based intervention, well, particular mindfulness-based intervention program, um, the experiences teachers have when they take that program, what their experiences are with Mm -hmm. self-compassion. And it's uh, certainly something I spend a lot of time on right now, and I'm also, I have a local, um, a column in the Center Daily Times called Music from the Center. Uh, So every every week, uh, every Friday, there's a new article posted on some aspect of our local music community. And along with that, I'm playing music around uh, really just central Pennsylvania. And I'll play with, um, by myself sometimes, Um, I was playing with a group, The Feats of Strength for a while, Mm -hmm. Uh, played with Bill Strayer and and his folks a little bit, Eric and Farmer. And so I just kind of, sort of a freelance uh, musician, I guess. Um, And yeah, I have... um, uh, just about a daily meditation practice. Uh, it's my goal for it to be a daily practice. That's um, great. And um, and then I'll do yoga uh, once or twice a week, along with uh, swimming at the Y.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. What got you into the practice of meditation and yoga? And it sounds like you said you're trying to really incorporate it into your daily life. What brought that about for you?
1: Well, uh, I didn't grow up with a very strong spiritual uh, tradition. Uh, my parents weren't really very religious and or spiritual at all. Uh, so they weren't offering, uh, any, any, anything to me in that way when I was growing up. Um, so I spent a number of years, um, as a younger person though, with a lot of thoughts about, um, those types of things, I guess. Um, Without any answers. And mm-hmm. so I bumped around a lot of schools when I was a kid. I was actually, I went to seven different schools and lived in the same area the whole time. Um, I was actually ex- expelled from a school and mm-hmm. I kind of had that sort of uh, upbringing or, or background with education and right. I ended up at the Catholic high school. Hey, which,
0: sounds like a similar story to right. <laughs> me. I got plopped into Catholic high school got when I was getting in, in, in trouble. <laughs> last, last, uh, <laughs> last ditch up.
1: Last, <laughs> last school <laughs> left. And actually I went there. And had to leave there, uh, in the middle of being there because mm-hmm. they, uh, for disciplinary reasons. And so I took a train to Philadelphia from Lancaster every day for a year and a half and went to a school up there and then back to the Catholic school to graduate the last two years of high school. Uh, so, it, so going to the Catholic high school was, was really good for me because, mm-hmm. um, I didn't, I had a lot of, uh, spiritual yearnings, I guess, or a lot of curiosities. I was looking for a lot of things, Uh, answer is just to explore it and to, to be inspired. Mm. Um, and I saw a community of people who rallied around their spiritual tradition, which was Catholicism. And although it wasn't my tradition and ultimately it didn't, it wasn't like a dead center, uh, hit in terms of my, what I was looking for. Um, it, it just opened up that world for me. And then I went on to a Catholic college and I remember talking at the time that I was thinking about being Catholic, but I just couldn't Mm -hmm. quite do it because it ultimately just wasn't making a whole lot of sense to me. And so one day I was just in, um, uh, Borders bookstore in Mm -hmm. Erie. That's where I was. Um, and I was just in the spirituality section and I just happened to see a book on, by um, Steve Hagen, who is a Zen priest up in Minnesota. And the book was called Buddhism, Plain and Simple. Ah. And it was just his initial instructions for Westerners about what Buddhism was from a Zen perspective. Uh, And it was just one of those things. I think I was about 20, and it was one of those things. When I read it, just everything he was saying made sense to me. Um, And it was elusive, because Buddhism... you know, can be elusive in terms of what, what it's all about, particularly Zen Buddhism. Yes. (laughs) And so he wasn't talking about a whole lot of concrete things. Mm -hmm. He was just sort of saying, describing maybe, maybe, um, the situation of life and, and here's a, a a way of understanding it and navigating it. But it was, it was a lot of abstract ideas But somehow or another, I just really understood it. And then I, I just launched a, basically a 10 year reading career for me. Mm -hmm. I went to DT Suzuki and read a bunch of things, books he wrote, all his essays on Zen Buddhism. Um, Alan Watts, uh, I went through like three or four of his books, so I just couldn't take it anymore because he's <laughs> just all over the place. Yes. Um, and then I just went through all of that. I eventually got into some of the Dalai Lama's books and I was interested in that tradition. Mm-hmm. And then eventually, um, I found my way to Hanopala, Ganartana and mindfulness in plain English. Oh, yeah. Um, and then that was to me like the golden ticket. <laughs> I was like. Oh okay and it just was so clear to me and so what what I did then was I just started google searching um Buddhism in Hi. Pennsylvania <laughs> and uh Google is your friend yeah it ultimately <laughs> led me to Pittsburgh uh the Pittsburgh Buddhist Center and um I started I reached out to them and started making appointments with the uh, the lead abbot or the head monk mm. uh Ponte uh, who I would just drive down to Pittsburgh for a couple hours with all these questions about different things I was reading. And, uh, and he was delighted to do that. You know, yeah. I think for him to someone, he's a, he's a doctorate in, um, religious studies, and master's degree in Buddhist studies. So here's this American coming to him, asking him about the, all these texts that he's just a master of. Yeah. What so a great I, mentor. Yeah. And he then, um, you know, really became a friend of mine, um, and I just and so from there it led me to a meditation retreat there with um, Hanopala Gunaratana was the oh, host so that wow. was really cool yes um, and then I just started spending some more time there and eventually took um, did a he he Vonte Payman wanted me to do um, he a precept ceremony he, he's like and uh, so I, he's like you're ready you're ready and I was really hesitant and I actually geared all up for it and then the day of it I. I got too nervous and told him I couldn't do it. I just didn't, wasn't ready. And ah, he was like, it's okay. <laughs> and so then, so then we just went through the whole process again about a year later. And then I did it and ah. it was just really magical. I was, ah. uh, I was in the Pittsburgh Buddhist center surrounded by, um, a bunch of Sri Lankan people mm. uh, who I really didn't know too well. Um, but, uh, they all witnessed me do this precept ceremony with Bonte Pema and Bonte mm. Puna and these different, uh, and. Uh, They're the two monks, you know, and, um, it was really touching. I mean, he, um, gave this whole speech about me to everybody that was there. It was like everything over the past three years that I had ever told him he remembered, you know, he's just so clear and he just told everybody all these details about me from even these little one-off conversations we'd have. Uh, and it's just really moving for me. And so, Mm -hmm. um, so that, then I, I felt like I I liked having kind of a formal entryway into the tradition. Um, because as I explained, it's just something that I didn't really have and it just all made so much sense to me. So then, then I was like off and running in terms of like looking how to formalize a meditation practice and do all these things. That was all around 2011. And then, uh, fast forward a little bit, to a couple years ago, I met my wife Sonia. Yeah, and she a uh, inter- beautiful
0: soul. Yes.
1: <laughs> and she uh, introduced me to yoga. She's a yoga teacher, and uh, she owns her own yoga teacher training business. Uh, so
0: Which can, one? Yeah, share what that is. Satya yeah. Yoga. <laughs> yes, uh, yes, check it out. <laughs>
1: and uh, and she does a great job. But she um, introduced me to the world of yoga, and then mm. we have a really uh, we've had just such wonderful discussions about the links between yoga and Buddhism and they're really, you know, just really uh, closely intertwined. And so, um, and then that, this, you know, I'm still consider myself a new yoga practitioner. Mm -hmm. Um, I, uh, have come a long way (laughs) and into liking different styles and, and all this kind of thing. But, um, so I try to meditate every day, like I said, and I try to do yoga at least once or twice a week. Um, and, uh, it's just a really wonderful way to, 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 um, to go about things. I mean, yeah, if I, if I get a day where I'm starting off, uh, with a 20 or 30 or 40 minute meditation. Um, and you know, a couple of days a week do some yoga, I like to do reflective journaling. I'm, you know, I'm writing, the, the column, I'm playing my music, mm-hmm. I'm doing my research, all these different things. And I view it all as part of my personal mindfulness and, uh, wellness, practices all of it is is kind of, is even the research and the program penn state it's all for feeding the same thing
0: yeah and it's kind of building you as you're building others and how you know even how you were talking about you and your wife and the conversations you guys get into that intricate way that it all kind of correlates and combines together to help us heal and just feel balanced mm-hmm. in, in life and how we can do that in so many ways like music and writing and, and being a part of all the things that you're doing also. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about your dissertation? It sounds like you have a lot of um, kind of buildup and background and information you've gathered through your journey that really probably led, I would imagine, to you choosing this as your dissertation project.
1: Yes. Um, so the dis- – I've been a part-time student at Penn State for a while, so the dissertation – the, my focus in the program has ebbed and flowed and I've been in classes and out of classes mm-hmm. and I've been full on and I've taken time off and all these things. But I'm finally at this stage where I'm in the dissertation writing and the program I'm in is called educational leadership. I started the program at Penn state probably around 2011. Um, when I was an assistant principal at, oh, Be- okay. at Bellefonte school district. And I did that at the high school, Bellefonte and then the middle school for about, um, five and a half years. Uh, so I just burned out, I'm but, sure uh, it, was hard, yeah. it just was, uh, it's a very important job. Um, and, um, and I respect the position, but it just wasn't for me. And I just really started disliking it. Sure. Um, and you were
0: mindful of the fact that you were starting to just, it took it. me about
1: <laughs> two years to admit to myself that I didn't want to do it anymore. Cause you work so hard to, to get the credentials and then get the job. Yeah, and, absolutely. and in public ed, there's this idea that you're only a success, you know, if you walk in one day and then you walk out 35 days later and you've been in like the same district or something for the whole time. I mean, there's a real sort of conservative view about it. And so I was in that mindset. And so it took me a while to admit that I didn't want to do it. Um, and while I was in that phase, I was also starting this program. And so the, the idea of the program was to become get the superintendent, uh, certificate, and the doctorate and go into a central office position in a, in a school district. Um, so that's why I'm in educational leadership. Um, so I progressed far into the program. In the meantime, I burned out as a <laughs> assistant principal and left. And I went to Penn state for a couple of years as a program manager at the world campus. Okay. Um, and that was Penn state's a great place to work. I learned a whole lot there, but I found myself just kind of bored really, because Uh, There was so much less to do than I was used to in in a school district. Uh, I'd I'd sometimes go a day or two without even having to talk to anybody. Mm, Uh, And it just wasn't enough. It wasn't something that um, I was really into. So, But it was a great place to go. Um, I continued with the program that I was in. Then I um, eventually left Penn State and got back into teaching. I didn't want to go into administration again. I wanted to go back into teaching uh, just kind of reset my career. Uh, you know, I would also gone through a lot of personal things. Uh, as soon as I had left the school district gone to Penn State, um, I experienced a divorce. And oh, it was uh, sure. a uh, really difficult time. Mm, um, and so that all happened at Penn State. And, and leaving Penn State was also a kind of symbolic way of stepping away from that, too. And just resetting everything in my teaching position again. Yeah. Um, so... All that is to say, uh, that whole time I was really dinking and dunking in this program that I'm in. And as I leaving the administration and going to Penn state opened me up to this new, I guess, um, angle of authenticity that I had where I wasn't, I just steadily became less and less concerned about all the things I've been concerned about my whole <laughs> life and I was re, uh,
0: kind of like a reset. It was a reset. Uh,
1: you know, uh, I was, I was going through all these things. And, um, so I was, that involved ditching all my earlier ideas about when I wanted to research my program and it led me to being, um, like, you know, the thing I actually care about is mindfulness and meditation practices and all these different things. And I know there's something going on with that with teachers. So i sought it all out and, Now my focus for the program is a phenomenological study that I'm doing on an existing mindfulness-based intervention program called CARE. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go to the Garrison Institute this summer and observe 50 teachers getting trained in these practices. I'll be like a researcher observer, um, and I'm going to conduct all these interviews on them and and do some observations, all just to find out what their experiences are with self-compassion as a result of taking the program. So it's, um, it's, I'm really looking forward to it, but I'll say about the research, um, mindfulness practices in education are, are relatively new. Uh, it started in a formal capacity maybe 15 or 20 years ago trying, with the effort to teach students mindfulness practices uh, because it was lowering their anxiety and the idea was it also increase their academic performance, you know, yes. like obvious things that mm-hmm. mindfulness practitioners were like, sure, right. of course. That yeah. We're that. like, of course, come on. <laughs> but in like these, <laughs> in, these, uh, bureaucratic institutions that yes. are so Western. Uh, and so it was like this big deal. So, but then what was happening was the people who were being given the materials to teach the kids mindfulness practices were the teachers, and they didn't necessarily have any experience with the practices. Um, couple that with the fact that teaching is a high-stress profession. Almost 50% of the people who enter teaching leave the profession. But you yeah. don't stick with it.
0: That's a high number.
1: And most of them do it in the first, it used to be five years, but now it's four years. Wow. So there's a lot of burnout. Um, and, you know, people have all these ideas about what it is to be a teacher. Uh, they know they're not going to make a whole lot of money. I mean, they'll do okay, but not make a whole lot of money. Whether they're in it for all these maybe more aesthetic purposes with working with kids. And there's this passion for their topics, right. their subject areas. Um, uh, but they get into the, the formal education settings and they're just overwhelmed with everything they have to do. Mm. There's all these politics going on. There's all these state mandates. There's all these things that first of all, they weren't aware of. And secondly, they just feel overwhelmed and sure. don't want to do it. So they leave. Mm. Um, and so it's a problem for a lot of reasons. First, um, it impacts the students because they have, they go to schools in these institutions where there's 50% turnover. And yeah, so there's different absolutely. people year to year. They don't get to really, there's less of a sense of community. And ultimately the relationships are maybe the most important thing in a student teacher um, um, relationship or situation. That's, yeah. That's just the, that connection for yeah, learning. Mm-hmm. You have to sort of um, buy into the person before you're going to buy into what they they have to tell you. So if you don't have, uh, any consistency in the score, or less consistency, it impacts the students.
0: Sure. Or if teachers are all stressed out, it's hard for them to even be teaching in the moment when they're just trying to manage yeah. their own stress. Absolutely.
1: So if they, if the teachers stick with it and they're all stressed out, that's a problem because sure. you have a bunch of burned out people who wish they weren't there and right. they're just trying to get through it. And then also, it's expensive for the, the school districts because they're onboarding people and they're going through induction programs and they're doing these things to get them going. And there's a manpower issue with hiring and firing and whatever, all these things. So it became the, the focus about the mindfulness practices in schools shifted to teachers oh, first. Right. Uh, so they're both going on with the kids and the teachers. But there's a real zeal right now. Or It's very very um, popular thing to be training the teachers in mindfulness practices. So that all has been going on for maybe the last 10 or more years in a formal capacity where research is being done on these research-based programs that are rolled out to teachers that is great. all based on Theravada Buddhism, Buddhist practices, right out of the Pali Canon. Like yes. it's all mindfulness of the body, mindfulness of the breath loving kindness meditations. It's all these things just right out of the text yep. ex- except you don't, it has to um, remain non-secular.
0: That, yeah, you kind of take out the spirituality piece. It's yeah. the same like as a therapist in dialectical behavior therapy, mindfulness is one of those key components we teach, mm-hmm. but we take it away from the spiritual component, yeah. even though like you're saying, it's kind of textbook Buddhist. It's just reinforced. right down the yes. right
1: down the middle, right out of the text. There is a little bit of a, a, a leaning right now in this area, in, in, in the academic research anyway, to start pulling in some of the philosophical components because, uh, there are positive results in the mindfulness-based intervention programs. Teachers are learning these things, but there's a little bit of a gap because, um, it's being approached the way like a, like a nutrition program would be approached or something. There's no, there's nothing behind it. Right. And there's a camp of people that are like, well, of course, you know, mm-hmm. the, it's going to be less effective because it's all based on these philosophical ideas. Yeah. You know, it's not just, a, yeah, it's not just relaxing. Right. You know,
0: <laughs> and that philosophical yeah. piece, I mean, obviously this isn't um episode on Buddhism, although I hope to have one of those in the future, <laughs> but at the same time, you know, with, uh, you know, that just the, the, I guess, connection or or realization that Buddhism also isn't a religion. It's more about just a way of being and living and Mm -hmm. connecting with that oneness of everyone. And so I think that's great that academia is starting to look at pulling it in because it's non, at least in my opinion, I know there may be Buddhists that uh, see it differently for sure, but um, it's more of just this, this kind of spirituality connection and way of being and living in that oneness. So yeah, incorporating that is so important.
1: Right. And so that's, uh, I mean, it's going to, it's, going to be a hard sell to get it into the, the programs themselves because right. it's, it's ultimately, you know, uh, a, a way of seeing things and people are going to associate it with religion. Sure. But, but I do agree with the argument that the practices in isolation are less, I mean, they, they emerge out of a of philosophy. Right. And so if they're going to be most effective, it's like, we have to be willing to go there, but but either way, um, that's all going on, and that's what I'm looking into. I'm right now in the thick of uh, the literature review. I have the intro and the methods section done. <laughs> the literature review is a lot of work, but I just love it, really, because all I'm doing is reading articles about the positive effects of mindfulness, basically. I know, <laughs> and I get to, like, say, this guy said this, and yep. these three people said that. and uh, And it's just... It's just it gets really thick into the into the details of what it's all about, but I'm just loving it and the self compassion is actually a seldom it's it's there's very little on it. Wow. Um the only reason and again as a mindfulness mm-hmm. uh practitioner you'll find this interesting, the only reason they're start the researchers are starting to look at it now is because it came up unexpectedly. <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> so awesome. These, you know, oh, it's shoot, like the West, is, <laughs> the West is like not willing to go there over to the East and say, what's been going on? But everything they're finding out is like everything the East has been talking about for yes. 5,000 years. It's that
0: science mind. We got to right. see it in research. We first prove it. To, yep.
1: And so they're with all these practices, the loving kindness meditations and the joy practices and mm. all these different things in the care program the teachers start to report that they're feeling more self-compassion.
0: Ah, what a beautiful thing. Yeah. And so
1: <laughs> I just, that to me may, may be, in my my personal opinion, the most important thing if we're talking about mitigating uh, teacher stress is for ah. them to just be easier on themselves. Yes. Like just to know you can do it, uh, which is also in the research of this term of self-efficacy, this feeling that mm-hmm. they can do the job, which emerges as a result of the, of them reporting self-compassion. So it's like it really for teacher stress and and maybe all of our stress boils down to this idea of just being easier on ourselves.
0: Oh yeah. Like how we talk to ourselves. Will we talk to someone else or do we even want to hang out with ourselves when we're all up in judgment mind? And yeah, it's such an important thing.
1: So that's the crux of, the research I'm into. <laughs> Man, that
0: sounds fascinating. I'm super Thanks. excited <laughs> to, to continue to learn about it and, uh, you know, just hear what happens in your research and, and how you're able to integrate that further. Do you know as tar- as far as, um, you know, your own kind of understanding of where this might be leading in terms of educational programs or things that are happening in the schools today? Like, what are you kind of seeing there as the current, you know, what's going on?
1: It's definitely a very popular initiative, uh, because school districts all over the world really are scrambling to figure out how to to make make the teaching profession uh, something that people want to stick with. Yeah, absolutely. So, Belfont um, is a great example uh, of of some things that are going on all mm-hmm. over the place. Because what we have going on in Belfont is we have a monthly after-school mindfulness training. Series for teachers. Uh, they can go to it once a month, um, which is pretty well attended. We have some regulars for sure, and people drift in and out of it. That is um, great. And it's Karen Krish, the principal Marion Walker, and I are. We both lead those sessions, and we just come in and we we just try different meditation breathing techniques mostly, right? And then we have different themes. Like one time, uh, I presented on gratitude jars and gratitude journaling.
0: Oh, beautiful!
1: And it's just that kind of stuff, along with that. We have three scheduled professional learning or in-service days is how everyone understands them uh, throughout the year. We just had one Friday where there wasn't a mindfulness session, but there have been at each one really for the past year and a half. Yeah, that's great. And so it's Karen and I and sometimes Nicole Eckley who will teach 75-minute sessions on mindfulness and sometimes mindfulness and neuroplasticity. And we're just a lot of, for a lot of the people, we're just introducing them. I mean, it's just really interesting having such a strong interest in mindfulness practices and yoga and Buddhism and meditation and Mm -hmm. all these Eastern things. Some people have absolutely no idea about it. It's just not, not in their wheelhouse. It's not part of their paradigm, nothing. And so we'll go and present just basic research to the people and get them to breathe and follow their breath for one minute or something. Right. It's like, they've just never done it before or even heard about it. Or if they have heard about it, it, it was almost like a joke to them or something.
0: Yeah. Or like that buzzword. Oh yeah. I've heard about mindfulness yeah. um, or yeah. thinking it has to be like this kind of seated practice and you know, Real you're a monk. And hard <laughs> right? to do.
1: And, <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, so it's really a joy to do that so we have the professional learning we have the after school sessions and we also brought the care training to Belfont in um, the fall which is a three-day intensive with 15 teachers where all they did was come in and for three days like seven hours a day uh, ta- learn and practice mindfulness practices wow. so we did mindful mindfulness breath uh, just tons of body scans, uh, mindful walking, mindful eating, mindful listening practices. And, um, it was really great. And I, I give a lot of credit to the superintendent first and foremost, who's, uh, Michelle Saylor. She's really, she has her own research interests, uh, but she has a, uh, a, a very active interest in mindfulness practices. She understands the importance. Um, I don't know if she has like a practice of her own, but right. she's definitely on that side of the fence. Uh, so she's very supportive and the principal of the middle school summer Garmin, um, is in charge of scheduling all our professional learning and all that at the school district. And she's also been great to work with, uh, basically any idea that I pitch to them, they're just like, yup. And so Man, I just have to give awesome. my reason. Yeah. So Belfon's great. And I think that, um, it's an example of the types of things that are happening across the country. Yeah. And in that way, uh Belfont is really right on the cutting edge of what's being offered for teacher wellness programs. So I, I just I love being able to work there under under those conditions and, and it's like I can pursue this thing that is perhaps is is probably my number one interest in life. Right. In my profession with the kids and with the teachers and it's like i can be i'm kind of like this mindfulness guy running around the school <laughs> awesome. and I have just,
0: that support network too yeah. like what a great opportunity to work in a district that is really on board with that and really helping because as you mentioned um sometimes at these you know gatherings and when you're offering this information some people just aren't even aware. And then when they go through even that one minute breath experience, they're like, Oh wow, I can actually feel that change. And that was one minute and my breath is always there. And this might be something that can help me. And so it sounds like a really great opportunity and, and a great school district. That's really open to expanding this and exploring it.
1: Yeah. It's, it's, it's a, it's a pleasure for sure.
0: Are you aware of any, um, programs out there that teachers who aren't a part of your district can tap into to learn about
1: mindfulness? There's a lot of things going on. I mean, you can you can sign up for um, mindfulness trainings with a, a, a slew of organizations, um, and I'll give a couple examples. The, uh, for example, I'm currently taking one uh, that's a part of Yoga International, um, and it's uh, it's it's uh, basically I'll get a certificate from Yoga International on training. Uh, people in mindfulness practices. Oh, awesome. And so it's, it's like something I've kind of been working on anyway, but I, I want to have some kind of formal certificate from some place. So then I can like put it on my resume basically. So cause sure. what I'm trying to do is get more and more into the world of teaching people mindfulness practices. That's, that's really what I want to do ah. or, or at least be involved in the organization of it in some way or something to do with it. I mean, it's just really the thing that I, I care most deeply about. Um, uh, one thing that I'm doing that I did in, uh, I'm, I'm, working on, it's in the approval process at the state, uh, the, the Pennsylvania Department of Education. I hooked up with, um, Beth Ann McCain at the Susquehanna Central Intermediate Unit, and she's interested in people offering trainings for teachers. It's ah. it, the intermediate unit's are organizations that serve school districts throughout Pennsylvania and one intermediate unit, for example, could be designated to serve maybe 10 school districts oh, and, okay. and they go in and offer literacy trainings and special ed kind of stuff and, and all these different services that school districts maybe can't staff for themselves. Right. Um, but one thing that makes them very valuable is a diverse array of trainings that they can offer people. And so Ann started at the, this intermediate unit, I think a little over a year ago. Um, and we got to talking and she asked if I'd be interested in developing a mindfulness training. I was like, absolutely. And so I just got to design it off the cuff exactly how I think I'd want to take it, which was really cool. There were no parameters whatsoever. I just, I kept it all non-secular. Um, but I pitched it to them. They're running it through the department of education and then it'll, be available through that intermediate unit to take. And then I I believe it will also be available through the Pennsylvania Department of Education as a graduate level, three-credit graduate level course that any teacher can sign up for anytime they want. And um, it's all, I pitched it to be all online. So it's just something that teachers can, uh, on a rolling admission, sign up for. They can take it online. You get three graduate credits. They learn all these mindfulness practices. Um, They are on the cutting edge of this Thing that's a really hot topic right now in education. Uh, I expect that to be approved in the next month or so. So by this summer, yeah. teachers can most likely get right on the Department of Education Pennsylvania Department of Education search mindfulness training, and that'll come up, and they can enroll in it. The district it's uh, something that most districts pay 100 percent of the tuition, so it's just a great way for them to get continuing credits and. Uh, It's not part of a degree program, but um, if they're but teachers need to keep active on their credits. So um, in that way, it's very valuable. But also, I think more valuable than that is just simply what's gone over in there. It's just all the things that have ever helped me throughout my life (laughs) the past 20 years. And I just put all that in the program. (laughs) So I I think there's something in something that uh, for everyone in there.
0: Yeah, and thank you so much for putting that together for everybody and offering all your insight. And, you know, as we talked about towards the beginning, you've, it's been kind of that journey for you and all the information you've gathered and your experiences that you're able to share with others. And not only in what teachers can do for students, but going through those programs, it's so awesome on the on the end what you they end up learning about themselves and how to use that in their daily life of just balance and and kind of that stress relief we've been talking about Mm -hmm. so many cool things going on in education and research and there's just so much uh, more we can continue to do and expand in those areas and uh, definitely looking forward down the line to see where we go in in terms of academia and really helping students and teachers uh, support themselves within that setting uh, also, you know, as we talked about right at the beginning there, you know, your involvement in music, I've been talking with listeners uh, throughout a couple of these series about different ways that we can be mindful in our daily life. And I've talked a bit about music, um, as you know, because uh, <laughs> I've danced at your uh, music things. I'm a lover of dance. And, you know, that's one of the ways that I really Connect with music through that vibration and energy, not only with the music but also the energy you guys give off as musicians, and how each, as you know, like you mentioned, you play with a lot of different musicians, and you know it 's definitely a different energy when I go uh, and watch you know you playing with Bill and then you know Eric and farmer he is just ah. mm-hmm.
1: right. <laughs> not that you 're not too Bill, I love it, um, but just yeah.
0: the the tribe of people he brings together when you guys are up there, and the collective energy. Man, that last that last uh, show you guys had was intense uh, in such a, an amazing way. And so I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about that. Like, what do you do, or how do you connect uh, in your music and, and using mindfulness?
1: Well, I've been playing music since uh, I was around five, I guess. But I, I got started getting really into it when I was 12 or 13. Um, and I just... It, it wasn't, I didn't always look at it as if it was a mindfulness practice. First of all, I didn't have that language around it. Mm-hmm. And secondly, I, I maybe had a, a, a different purpose for playing it. When I started playing, you know, I was just having a difficult time as a young person and sort of being seen by the adults around me and just being, not having much success in these places. I was, you know, where we all go through as kids Sure. and music became this, um, way for me to experience positivity basically it was i I, I didn't really have it in many other areas and so uh but i could play a little bit and i would get uh good uh, positive feedback from people like my parents or something uh and so it was really the only way that i was um connecting with people in a positive way and i remember i just wanted to when i first started playing the only thing i was concerned about was learning every Bob Dylan song that I could possibly learn. <laughs> and I, I even, I never, my first gig I played was at the Monk's Tunic in Lancaster and Orange Street. And I think I was a junior in high school. And my only goal was to go out and do two sets of Bob Dylan songs, <laughs> which, which I did. And awesome. all the kids were in there like, what is he doing up there? <laughs> and I, to me, it was like I had arrived. Oh. And uh, so it was really that. Uh, it was, it was all just, I was really just, just, um, rallying around music for a positive personal identity, I guess. Right. So then as I got a little older, I was, you know, in and out of bands with my friends and we would all play music and all this stuff. Um, I got into bluegrass music when I was around 21 or 22 and I started playing the mandolin, uh, which mm-hmm. now I would call my main instrument. Um, and it was really a pretty simple reason why I get into it. These friends of mine wanted a mandolin player in their band. And so I bought one and learned how to play it.
0: <laughs> All right. That'll be me. <laughs> and
1: then once I did that, it was uh, a pretty cool process because there's just not a lot of mandolin players in Pennsylvania who are looking to do gigs. Right.
0: Right. And,
1: um, and so if you are one, people want you to come jump in on what they're up mm-hmm. to, which is, and so now when I play music, it's uh, um, not really a front man kind of person who would, like what doing what Eric's doing or bill where I'm like the center of attention or something. I like to be an instrumentalist on the side, uh, you know, and adding, adding what I can add and being in my practice, because it is a mindfulness practice. And that, that perspective started for me a couple years ago. Um, when I was going through my rough time that I'd mentioned earlier, I was at Penn state, I was newly single for the first time in a long time And I was, again, I found myself, again, rallying around music to pull myself back together. Right. Um, And that coincided with, um, that was right around the time that I met Eric, uh, Ian Farmer, Mm. and um, I would go down and play with him. And I think to play with Eric is similar to what it's like to be in the audience listening to Eric, because Mm. it's really inspiring. Ah, he's just amazing. the energy that he puts out is, is feels the same on stage. Like you're there jumping in on the Erician farmer experience there. I mean, we're not sure as an experience. Yeah. Like really we is. don't uh, rehearse. You don't even really know who's going to show up sometimes for the night. And so yeah. it's just like, you look around and you're like, okay, like I didn't know Molly counter was going to be there. Or <laughs> so,
0: well, you these, can't tell yeah. like in the audience, we're just, you know, flowing right. with you guys. So it's awesome.
1: And so I just had these experiences playing with Eric when I was there was a point at which I was playing with him just about every week at the tavern. And, you know, I was doing two things at the time that my whole week revolved around. And one was going to a therapist <laughs> and the other one was going to playing with Eric. That's and crazy. so it was just, these, these uh, moments would happen in his music uh, when we'd be performing. And it's this, it's this concept of uh, being in the pocket. It's uh, like a jazz concept. You're, you're, um, you know there's a more tech maybe formal term of flow for it but um i like being in the pocket better because uh it um it's just when everything stops it's oh, like yeah. the, you have your single point of focus and as a musician you're not even making decisions about what you're playing anymore it's just like the music's playing you yes. it's just happening and that would happen a few times every time i would play with eric back then and i started realizing it and i would blog about it on the blog i used to contribute to and uh it would um it was just a magic and uh, when when that was going on it was the same you know thing that happens when you're really in a uh, sitting meditation or when you're in yoga and you just really click in or when you're doing anything with that single point of focus. Um and so for me that's what music started becoming and really the only kind of music I seek out now is music where where I feel like that's going to happen. And so <laughs> playing with Eric has been was you know first of all Eric's a wonderful friend and he's been there for me like in, in my toughest times and as a cheerleader in, in, as I emerged out of all that. And it's just a great friend also was in the doctoral program that I'm in. He graduated already though. Congratulations, Um, Eric. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, so I go to play with him and that's the scene. And then the music is what it is, which you experience. And it's, uh, and so it's just a wonderful thing. Um, you know, and these other folks I play with, like when I play with, if I would play with Bill, you know, we're getting into that too. And if I'm playing by myself, I'm getting into it. And it's just the best way to describe it is just that everything stands still. Um, you're just, you're in the pocket, you're dropped in, you're in the zone. It's the same thing. Um, you know, Michael Jordan, there's an image of him when he would score like 50 points a game and these there's images of him just holding up his hands and shrugging his shoulders saying, I don't, like I can't explain it, like how I just keep, I can't miss, or it's like I'm in the zone.
0: Yeah, like, I was, and that's yeah. interesting you bring him up as the example because that's kind of what came to mind for me too is like how, you know, people in sports, how they get into that zone. I used to be a soccer player, and not that I was like fantastic or anything, but you could get in that zone, like yeah. in sports, and really um, you just don't know what's going on that day. You're just like in this flow.
1: And you don't know, I, I had a I I played a high school sports as well, and I just remember one football game, uh where I had an interception and I have a memory of that play where it was like uh everything just hit slow motion oh yeah yeah and the ball mm-hmm. was like tumbling towards me and I remember how it felt right at the time there was no way I wasn't going to catch it and everything just stopped it was really mm-hmm. weird that's the same experience in music
0: when you're dropping in that pocket, that's it. It's the same,
1: (laughs) same thing. And so, um, you know, and I want to say too, with the column music from the center, um, I have the opportunity to write about, um, the music that's going on around town and around our area. And, uh, I really love that too, because writing is another mindfulness practice. I do personal journaling, the dissertation certainly, but, um, even writing the column even just being able to talk to other people about what they're doing and piecing it together and just really paying attention for me these are these are the things it's writing and music and yoga and meditation and swimming and uh and uh being outside you know this is it's like the if i'm doing if i'm being honest with myself like those are the things where um where it's happening for me. And so I I love being able to write about the music too. And so it's a great, great combo.
0: Yeah. And all those things you mentioned are things in terms of, um, you know, I've been kind of talking about this idea of our wellness toolbox and the things that really, uh, you know, fill our joy center and feed our soul and how it's different for everybody and recognizing and learning what resonates for us and having those tools available just for every day, you know, becomes that practice. And then just that way of being and living.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Man, that is some wonderful information that you've shared with us, not only in your journey and, and thank you for sharing some of your personal journey with us too, but also in the research you've learned about and experienced and what you're researching as well. And then also the work you're just doing right now in the schools and in your in your own life and music in the community. And we do have just such a, an amazing um, music community here uh, in State College. And do. so you also connecting with all of them. And like you said, even just writing in itself and how that can be mindful, uh, a mindful practice. So Kevin, with everything you share with us today, and again, thank you so much for being a part of this podcast and my first podcast guest, <laughs> I, I really appreciate it. Um, but how can people reach you? How can our listeners learn more about you and, and keep a track of what you're doing and what's going on for you?
1: Well, the easiest way to reach me, I guess on the internet or something is I have a Facebook page, which is Kevin Briggs. Um, and E-R-I-G-G-S. then I G G S. Then I have, uh, an Instagram account that's called the transcendent eye. Um, and the reason it's called that is, you know, at first when I was coming up with it, I was just sort of like, okay, whatever. I was having an Instagram account and (laughs) name it something. And what I did was it's a, from Ralph Waddle Emerson's essay nature, where he writes about, um, his moment of being in the pocket occurs in nature. Ah. And he writes about how when he's out in nature, he feels like a transcendent eyeball where he's pure experience and like his complete identity and ego strips away and he's just an experiencer. Uh, And that's maybe my favorite line in all of uh, literature. And so um, I named my Instagram account that. (laughs) (laughs) What
0: a great story behind it. And so true nature again, another amazing tool. (laughs) And
1: so people can, um, I guess look that up, or, or go to the Facebook page, and certainly reach out over email. It's a very simple. It's Kevin T. Briggs at gmail.com. I'd be happy to, you know, be in contact with anyone about any of these things, really. So
0: awesome! Thank you, thank you so much, Kevin. And I uh, plan to finish up that uh, other website I'm building so that uh, people can have an opportunity as well to post direct comments and questions on podcasts but in the meantime there's some ways there that you can reach out to kevin and if you have questions or want to give him um, you know just any ideas that that came about for you in this podcast so thank you again kevin yeah. for coming out and joining us today I greatly appreciate it and thank you to everyone who is sharing some time and space with us today i hope you're also allowing yourself some time and space to continue to fill up your joy tank and feed your soul Our next episode will be this Wednesday, where we'll continue to work on those wellness tools that we've been building and developing, and I hope you all have a beautiful day. Thanks so much. Bye-bye.